0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the CityWire Ratings Radar podcast. Uh, another week where we're going to crunch through the CityWire Fund Manager Rating numbers and see what emerges. Uh, as ever, join today my, my co-host Angus Foote and our resident analysts on all our numbers, Frank Talbot and Nisha Long. Uh, great edition this week. We're going to look at, uh, a little later in the show with Frank, how ESG funds have performed throughout the crisis. Spoiler alert, quite well. Uh, But first we're going to go to Nisha and we're going to have a look at the fund flows uh, where money's been coming in and out uh, during April uh, when a little bit of calm returned to the market, I think it's fair to say. So Nisha, uh, tell us what's been happening.
1: Oh, thanks, Richard. Um, yeah, so April was quite a different story that we had um, from March. Money did go back into mutual funds and performance also rebounded in um, the majority of the sectors that we cover. Now, one of the sector's fixed income asset class saw the return of money as companies and governments issued debt to help ease um, the effects of the pandemic. And uh, investors also redeployed the cash they're holding in March. Um, and in the top ten for fund flows for April, alone, we've seen that seven of the top 10 were fixed income focused funds, with the majority of them being corporates. Now these were probably um, helped by the Fed um, buying up corporates and also you know the ECB as well, going in that direction. Um, but at the top were plus rated Mark Kiesel and Mohit Middle of um, PIMCO GIS uh, Global Investment Grade Fund. Now they took in around 2 billion euros on this fund in April, and they returned around 4%. So they were doing pretty well. Now, um, plus rating now, that might not sound like a lot, but if you consider they've run around 15 funds each um, to their name and that contribute to their ratings analysis, they're doing a pretty good job. Um, Now, another area we saw a flight into was healthcare and technology focused stocks and funds. And we also saw this in March and this continued in April. Now on the healthcare side, uh, mentioned before, um, Erin Shi, who's um, still rated, she's got an A rating. And she was also in the top three for flow takers in Q1 on the BlackRock World Health Science Fund. And the fund took in 1.2 billion in euros in April alone. And also she returned um, an exceptional 12% as well. So you can see why, you know, the flows drifted there in the first place. Um, But on the side of that, I just want to mention, well, a big shout out to one manager, Oliver Kubli of Bellevue, who comes in with his first AAA rating. And he runs a number of funds in the healthcare sector, but in regional, um, in different regional areas. So in global Asia Pacific, as well as emerging market um, healthcare focused stocks, and which gives him a good reach, you know, globally. But for him to come in with the first AAA, you know, after the rebound in April, I think that's pretty good going.
0: So Angus, two big names in there, BlackRock and PIMCO doing very well. Any thoughts on that? Uh, I, just,
2: I just want to jump in there. I mean, on the uh, the PIMCO investment grade side, investment grade was one of the areas which, uh, on the corporate side, which did help, hold up pretty well, it, both in the, the downturn and the rebound uh, for the fixed income side, which which wasn't common across the piece. So I can definitely see why someone like Mark Kiesel, who's probably the best investment grade corporate manager on the planet in the biggest bond house in the world, would take in so much money. And then uh, in terms of BlackRock, they're just really well-placed. Uh, obviously, 6.4 trillion of assets they've got. But they're really well-placed in terms of where they've got great managers. And they've got, the, as, as we talked about last week, and Nisha mentioned the preeminent healthcare manager in Erin She on the World Health Sciences Fund. So, yeah, they're looking. They're looking. It's, it's easy for them to scoop the assets up. Yeah, the size makes a difference. But the quality of the teams is really what's back it
1: I totally agree with you, Frank. There, and also um, just going, coming back to the flows, another BlackRock fund actually in the top ten is um, AA-rated Tony Kim on the World Technology Fund. So, as you know, you know the technology has been scooping up the assets as well. You have the fangs, you know, doing fantastic. Amazon twenty-seven percent up in April alone, and Google Alphabet sixteen percent. You know, both held by Tony Kim, you know, in his fund. So, yeah, they're doing pretty well.
2: <laughs> yeah, and they've also got the uh, energy funders there as well for BlackRock. They're, they're, yeah, they, they've, they've got a good basis. And what's interesting about the flows in the past month, Nisha sort of touched on it, is that it's been those it's been the winning sectors of technology and healthcare that have taken in the most money. You don't typically see single sector thematic type plays up amongst the really big sectors like global equities and global fixed income. It's very rare just because of how niche the products are and the lack of liquidity that they'd be piling the amount of money they have been but clearly people think both of those have got legs, healthcare and tech.
3: I'd like to pick up on something that both of you have alluded to actually, this idea that you know what did well in March and what took money in March or lost money in March is then not the same as what we're seeing in April. And uh, I did a discussion, a roundtable discussion with some fund selectors earlier this week. We're talking about actually talking about liquid alternatives. But uh, one of the things that came up was this focus that we've seen on downside protection. So the first couple of months of this crisis, everyone's thinking about downside protection and, and uh, you know liquid alternatives, one part of that. But uh, a few of these guys made the point to me that people want one thing now, downside protection when the markets are, are crashing, but then coming out of that, they want something completely different, and, and that leads to this short-term focus and a switching around. And uh, you know, if we were if we were all um, you know super predictors, super forecasters, we'd have moved into the things that gave us downside protection before the markets tanked. But almost no one's clever enough to do that. So uh, I think there's an interesting point to be made here about staying with the you know the long-term decisions that you make, and perhaps that's why these big. Uh, well-respected and trusted investment houses, um, you know, continue to do well coming out of the, the turbulence. Nisha wrote a, a very interesting piece of analysis uh, this week about balanced funds, and um, you know, the 50-50, 60-40 kind of portfolios that were uh, popular for quite a long time. And looking at whether they were doing uh, whether they were doing what they actually set out to do and I was uh, I was intrigued when that article was posted on our website a few readers made comments um, uh, uh, along the lines of of, of not forgetting the sort of perennial need for diversification that will will always be there for investors Uh, and also the fact that we mustn't lose sight of the need to be long-term and I find it encouraging and healthy that our readers, advisors and selectors are, are, are still reinforcing that message.
1: Yeah, mm. I think I totally agree with that. I think um, long term, you know, you need to look at the long term. If you're do, you know, set out to put in your portfolio for long term, which most investors are for pensions, for example, it is long term investments. And just to put your what you were saying into context, Angus, um, the winners in March were actually the losers in performance terms. In April, so you have alt USIT strategies in there, just to mention a few some of these they're not rated managers, but Tim Bond and Crispin O'Day who did fantastically well in March. they were in the top ten for performance in cross border funds and now they're in the bottom ten and then you also have um, Luis Bononato, who I mentioned as well, who was in the top ten, but now again in the bottom ten and just to emphasize the short termism this month, the top ten funds nine of the top ten were all gold equity funds, and some of them. So the top managers, Eric Mayo and Walter Reilly of the Nestor Gold Fund, they returned almost fifty percent in April, and the fund fell around twenty percent in March. So they recouped all their losses. But it just shows you how mm. short-term and how things rebound so quickly. And from this, um, yeah, um, so it is good to be longer-term.
0: I know, and I've noticed a couple of of, of funds or asset management houses saying. I will look at our rainy day funds. You know, the uh, they did they've done really well through this crisis. Well, they have, but if, if if that's what you'd held for the past three years, you know, it hasn't made up for that performance. Uh, you know, you'd be banging on the door of your uh, advisor or wealth manager and saying, you know, why did you why did you put me in this in this fund? Because yeah, it's done well the last month or so, perhaps, and and not even into April, but. You know, I've missed out on three years of, of, of a fantastic bull market.
2: It's more like it's more like ten years. You missed, oh, well, yeah.
0: missed, I was it. being polite. So. <laughs> <laughs> those, those,
2: those portfolios did so
0: well in
2: the credit crisis, and um and, and people people held on to them for longer. You know, the you know at least sort of into the maybe the middle of this decade or last decade rather. People still had little allocations to absolute return funds, and yeah, if you were in them uh in in february 19th you'd be very happy this year but that hasn't been the case something very different about this crash than the, the previous one is the credit crisis was protracted it took 18 months to, 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 to get from peak to trough whereas this one it's it took less than a month so investors had and selectors had the ability to rotate into more defensive products as they could see the sink the ship was sinking but because of the, the swiftness of both the decline and the bounce it hasn't been the same market. Um, I think people buying protection at the moment think there's there's more misery to come. But with the amount of um, <clears throat> the amount of easing in the market, I think uh, asset prices are pretty well supported. I mean, that's the general feeling. I think initially I was shocked at how fast uh, markets recovered. But then when you think about the scale of the packages they're
0: pumping in, it does make sense to a certain degree. And probably more to come as Jay Powell was hinting this week. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And also the ECB, they're considering now purchases of high yield and fallen angels. So we might see that coming through as well. So that's just, you know, more stimulus in the markets, especially for the high yield market, which is uh, a bit out there.
3: Yeah. And just on contrast with 2008, a point that's been made quite forcefully to me many times by uh, fund selectors over the last few weeks is that 2008, uh, one of your biggest concerns was counterparty risk. Which isn't there this time around. Correct. You know, yep. Banks are well capitalized. People aren't worried about the counterparty risk. It's all the market stuff.
0: No, I think that I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and I think we can segue from there quite nicely into a sector that barely existed at the time of the last crisis, which is ESG. Uh, and Frank, let's bring you in here because you've been monitoring the performance of those funds over the last month and uh, generally had a had a decent crisis. Yeah, generally had a decent crisis. I mean, you've they're
2: very fortunate, ESG, in that uh, the nature of the pandemic means that the companies which are typically least offensive on pretty much every ESG screen uh, have weathered this better. And that's obviously technology, the, the, the primary sort of winner, as well as healthcare. care. Um, there's a considerable amount of interest now in ESG, you know, for, fortunate or not. The investment case is there and it was there beforehand and maybe this has sort of propelled that a bit quicker i mean the amount of content we're putting out on our sites tells you that people are in demand for for the content people are reading it i hope <laughs> um and um but two of the managers i want to talk about you said yeah it didn't exist in the last crisis but both of these portfolio managers they were flying the flag for sustainable investments way back when and uh, before it was cool getting in on the ground floor and um, and and that's boded well because they've got they've got the history of performance behind it. Uh, first 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 gentleman I want to talk about is Michael Fox at Royal London. So um, he was really good uh, back in sort of 2006. He was generating some of the highest um, risk adjusted returns that we have worldwide uh, that we at, at that time um, didn't have the best credit crisis. You know had a sort of uh, fallow few years uh, fell out of the ratings. Um, but since March 2013, he's only failed to get a rating once. He's back up at AAA this month. He's been in and around AAA for the past few months. It makes a better story if I say he's back up, but he's obviously doing really well. Um, and uh, what's impressive about his AAA status is he's running four funds in three sectors. And the more funds and the more sectors you take on, the harder it is to have a sort of an average information ratio that's really high enough to get a AAA. Um, He's best known for his Royal London Sustainable Leaders Fund. It's a UK all-cap fund. Um, he, again, is fortunate enough to have chunky stakes in UK pharma. He's got Smith & Nephew, 5% of the fund. AstraZeneca is another 5% of the fund. Uh, he's also got a couple of shrewd off-benchmark bets in US tech. He's got Microsoft and Alphabet. That kind of hurt in the past couple of months. And the fund's taking in significant money. Last month it took half a billion sterling, and given the fund's only 1.9 billion sterling, that's a pretty good month. Uh, and it's taken net positive cash every month this year, even in the horror show that was March. So it was one of those few funds taking in new money during when everything was falling around it. So Michael Fox, he's yeah excellent. Definitely worth a look if you are upping your exposure to ESG. Peter Michaelis at Trust is the next one I want to talk about. Uh, he's also hit AAA. This is his first AAA ever. Uh, and um, I think that's re- even more impressive because he's running 10 funds in seven sectors. Uh, in order for someone to get AAA rating running that many mandates, to borrow a phrase, everything must be coming up Millhouse. it really is very impressive. His whole overarching strategy is working. He's running mixed asset funds as well as pure equity funds. It's global. It's UK. It's European. It's everything you can think of. Um, the fund I want to focus on of those mandates, though, is the uh, 500 million Lion Trust Sustainable Future Global Growth Fund, if you guys said that right. It's um, it's 9% up on the index year to date, really impressive. And as you expect, heavy emphasis on healthcare and technology. Uh, on the healthcare front, he's in the right place at the right time and owns everyone's favorite Swiss farmer, Roche, or Roach, as uh, Trump might say. And. Um, yeah, he's obviously pretty happy with that, that allocation and how, how well that's performed on the back of um, the approval in multiple countries for their uh, antibody test. Um, our performance in global activities is extremely hard. I can't emphasize enough how difficult it's been to outperform US, uh, sorry global equities due to the massive part of the fact that U.S. equities is 65% of the index and U.S. equities have been extremely difficult to outperform because of the growth in tech. A sort of unexpected continual you know, tech boom that we've had during the last 10 years. Um, so he's, he's, in, he's in a good position, but how long that 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 remains to be the case is it will be interesting to look but you know, less than 10 percent of global equity managers have outperformed over the last sort of five years so these I
0: can... so i mean one thing about esg is everyone's got a different view what is es and g are these two managers styles very similar or are they going after different different parts of the market
2: I think by virtue of the sectors that they've been drawn towards, uh, then I would say, yes, there's a similarity. Uh, the ESG universe is obviously a subset of the overall universe. How green is your, your portfolio is, is, a, is a conversation we talk about for a while. Both have uh, very high or high um, Morningstar sustainability ratings. They get their underlying portfolio data from Sustainalytics, which I think they predominantly own now. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's an evolving piece, but uh, they, they seem to be pretty pretty much on the good side. One thing I'll talk about, actually, in these these two houses, before I let someone else jump in, um, is um, both Royal London and Lion Trust made strategic decisions many years ago to up their exposure to ESG, again, before it was cool. You know, they lifted both of these managers and their assets from different houses, um, um, Fox came from Cooperative Bank. Um, Michaelis, uh, they, they were acquired from Alliance Trust business. Alliance Trust Fund Arm came over to Lion Trust, which you know has, has paid off in a big way. They must be very happy with how that's worked out. You no,
0: know, they're both very s- smart operations. Uh, do you see other? Do you see other uh, companies trying to do the same thing now? Are they trying to get on the bandwagon?
2: I think I think every asset manager in the world. Is is on the bandwagon now? That, that that ship sailed last year was the year of the ESG that's been derailed by coronavirus, but it's still the biggest overriding driver um, when we come out of this. Long term, the change towards a more sustainable society is is too big to ignore. There's big money being made. Every asset manager's woken up to it finally, and um, it's 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 no longer sort of philanthropic. It, it is it's where the money's being made, and we've seen that again in the crisis.
1: Mm, I think also just to come into that, I think um, last year, the last couple of years, it's more focused on the E, the environmental side, but now coming out of this pandemic, and it's definitely going to be on the social side. So more focus on the S and the governance, you know, the G. I think the companies that you have mentioned as well, Frank, you know, most of the stocks that they, those managers are holding, they've got pretty good governance behind them. So they're, you know, really holding on to that side of the ESG. But I think with the social aspect, for example, health and safety, you know, coming out of this, you know, workforce, you know, how we adapt, you know, going back to work and all that kind of thing, I think it's going to make make a big difference to what people invest in now and how the companies are actually adapting to help them to return to work and work from home. That's another social aspect. And, you know, it will all change, I think.
3: Yeah I I totally agree with that and I think that also the the, the debate has kind of switched around hasn't it from not it's it's no longer you know should we be going down this path it's no longer will ESG become an important thing it's a question of how and I think that's really where we're at. Somebody mentioned to me yesterday do you remember the forest fires that swept kind of large parts of australia and california seems a long time ago it wasn't it was just a few months and that triggered a whole wave of kind of calls to action around climate and as nisha says COVID's triggering this wave of kind of like introspection and 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 debate around the social issues we're being whacked over the head again and again by these these kind of huge changes that 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 are going to happen and you can't say oh you know whether or not a fund particularly mirrors uh, um, a certain set of ESG criteria it, it is an argument for whether or not ESG is an important trend it absolutely obviously mm. is as Frank said and, uh, and, it, and it really is very much about the how not the weather
0: yeah you've got you know uh, Nisha in your uh, ratings radar newsletter recently you mentioned uh, Whitbread as having a, a good crisis because it was letting its empty hotel rooms to NHS staff etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know all on social media, you can see people uh, compiling lists of good companies and 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 bad companies. You know, people that are being rude to customers, saying they can't have a have a refund, uh, forcing their staff back to work when when it might not be safe. Uh, so yeah, it, I think as as you know, as you were saying, it's not just about forest fires and and how much how much uh, carbon you're uh, you're burning. Frank, you want to come in?
2: It's not actually ESG related Sorry to cut you off there. Um, Don't worry. uh, I I really wanted to get it in, but if we didn't get it in this podcast, um, I can't finish without giving a sort of big shout-out to Giles Hargreaves. He is a UK small cap fund manager, micro cap. Uh, He is pretty good. He has received 212 CityWire ratings, out eight times the most ratings we've ever awarded to anyone. He's generated in his, in his tenure. He's stepping back in January of next year, but since he started in, uh, I forget the date now, maybe it was July, 98, maybe 97. Apologies to Giles. He's generated nearly 3,000% compared to 300% on the UK small cap index. Pretty decent. you would be very happy if you were backing him from the beginning.
0: Good. And I think you know that, and we'll, we'll probably wind it up after that it does illustrate managers matter that you know, the human capital that i mean hargreave Hale was was originally it was a blackpool stockbroker or something wasn't it so two things there one managers matter talent matters and b that no matter you know you don't have to be blackrock to uh to perform great things for your investors so and think, be long term and be long term indeed yeah So on all those three worthy notes, uh, before we end up sounding like thought for the day, uh, I'll say goodbye to everybody and thank Frank, Nisha and Angus. And we will be back again next week. Uh, Wishing you all well.